3: Greetings and salutations, everybody. Hope everybody is uh, rocking and rolling so far in 2021.
4: It's been a hell of a year in one week. It's
3: been a crazy year. It's been a
4: crazy year already. (laughs) That's a fact.
3: That is a fact. That's a fact. Good evening, good people. Always a pleasure. Market Mondays, staple in the world. Staple online, staple in the community.
4: That's a big, that's a big fact.
3: Biggest, biggest, biggest investing show in the world—not just the United States of America, the entire world. The
4: acts about us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's see if the bro here.
3: We got seven fifty on the check-in. One minute in, it's gonna be crazy.
4: Oh, they waiting. They, oh, they, they waiting. Oh, it's lit.
3: It's lit. <laughs> it's lit. Let's get it rocking.
0: Yes, yes,
5: yes.
3: A lot, a lot going on today. You know, man, we don't stop. We just keep going. Keep going. Another one.
5: Another one. Keep
6: the
4: ball. Happy going. Oh. Oh. There How are you go, brother. Well, we can't hear you though. You got to mute on. You got your mute. Hold on. Let me let me okay. check. Let me check. Let me check. We good. Make sure we good. Nah, we good. Let me know if you guys can hear me or not. No, oh, it's us. It's us. It's us. Yeah, we okay. Oh, yeah, we good now. Say something now. You looking good, man. Both of y'all looking good. How you feeling? Yeah, Shotty got the earners attire to on today. Yeah,
7: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I
4: see some people saying when they like they like that sweatshirt. Shout out that to that's earners, a one on one.
3: You're looking looking very presidential, brother. It look like um. everything
5: got everything worked out over there. I, I I wouldn't uh send anybody to the Capitol building though. So <laughs> <laughs> you vote for me, y'all do the right thing. thank um, on. But I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I want to, you know, step it up. It's a momentous occasion. So uh, we'll release the flute school bro. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. All
3: right. Let's, let's get to it without further ado. But first and foremost, let's make a couple of announcements. Um, earn your leisure. This is a monumental week for us. Not only do we have a pristine guest for Mark and Mondays, we're about to announce in a little bit. But, um, of course, we have none other than the legendary Mark
4: Cuban. The biggest boss that you've seen thus far. The biggest, <laughs>
3: the biggest in the game, man. We got Mark Cuban on EYL tomorrow at five o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Tap in, yo, Tap in.
4: man. I, I am so happy. You know what makes me happy, man? The the response from everybody who's just encouraging, like, yo, I've been with y'all from day one. I'm so happy for this moment. Trust me, it's gonna be well worth the wait, man. It is a it's it's one of them episodes, man. Shout out to shout out to Five Hundred broke almost every. Shout, shout out to him out, for an episode. Right, he did break every record. every single record. Him 500 went crazy. Shout that's out to crazy. him five, that's insane.
3: Shout out to him 500 man. Yeah. So so yeah. Um, that is tomorrow at five o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and then on Wednesday we have Sabine. Yeah, none other than the, the Purpose Attorney.
4: Our Purpose Attorney. Um,
3: giving an, a estate planning class for EYL University. That's going to be a vibe. Uh, Matt just finished up his class last week, so I know we've been talking about it a lot and. We kind of postponed it because we had to get the technical stuff right. But tomorrow, tomorrow's a big day. EYL University is officially ending today. <laughs> and then graduate school is beginning tomorrow. As we know
4: it. As we know it. As we know they it. you might get scared. As nah, it's
3: not ending. <laughs> undergrad. Undergrad is ending. Graduate school. If you're already a member of EYL University, don't worry. You're already grandfathered in. That's a fact. Um, But, yeah, premium. The premium will raise. So yeah, this is the last opportunity um, before graduate school, but we got a lot of exciting stuff about graduate school. So it's
4: gonna be crazy. Yeah,
3: if you're interested, man, I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put it in here. Um, this is the last day for this code, uh, code EYL. You get forty percent off.
4: And y'all see how we coming? We've been in in 2021 for 11 days. Y'all already see what we. We're not playing this year. We have a lot, we, of, we was never we have
3: a lot of good relationships,
4: man. <laughs> you don't know who I know. You
3: never know who might pop up. <laughs> shout out to Mark Cuban, man. Billion dollars worth of game. Shout out to Al Harrington. Shot first and foremost, shout out yeah, to Al man. Harrington, man. Shout out to Al Harrington. <sighs> a legend in two games. That's a fact. A legend in two games. That's a fact. That's a fact. Shout out to Al Harrington. So, all right. Like I said, we got a lot. This is a jam-packed episode. Um Troy, can you say the disclaimer? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. First and foremost, this message is brought to you by the good folks at Your Legion and Dunlap. Do your own research. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It is very important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find on our show and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise. This is a message brought to you by the good folks at Earn Your Leisure and our good brother, Ian Dunlap, the Master Investor, a.k.a. I appreciate you. Ian Winfrey, a.k.a. <laughs> yeah, I'm going tonight.
7: I got my right now.
5: <laughs> got about four pages deep. I promise I won't talk over you and I won't say one more time 50 times. I'm going to go for a record <laughs> and do 58. I'm going to keep it going. We,
4: oh, we got to do the chart thing too that we talked about. Tavis Dunlap is in the house. Yeah. Yeah. We can do
5: something. All right. But yeah, the floor is yours, brother. Uh, Troy, let me share and then we get rocking. Got gotcha. you. I appreciate you guys for being here. Um, tonight will be fun. Okay. All right, let me know if you guys can see my screen and then I will get going.
4: Yeah, we got you over here. Perfect.
5: All right. All right, so I want to share with you the top 10, 10 things I wish that I knew at 21. Um, and these are the things that would have made me a little bit more excited about investing and not being afraid of the market. So some of these topics I'll dive in with later and talk to Josh and ask Josh about. But these are a few. So get your uh, pen and pad or a screenshot and let's go. So the thing that I want to cover first. I'll go back. Number one, investing is relatively easy. We as humans make it hard. Um, There, I think in business, there's been more books written about investing, how to invest than almost any other subject on earth. And even from a standpoint of people messing up and mismanaging client accounts, the same mistakes get made decade after decade, but we make it so complicated. It does not have to be. After you read two, 300 books, you're going to come to the same assessment of uh, you're either going to ultra focus on a few, or you're going to index, add bonds to your mix, And have a concentrated portfolio that's spread out across the market. I want you to put in chat, which one are you going to do? Are you going to be hyper-focused on a few? Or are you going to spread it out and get exposure to everything in the market? But type in chat, investing is not hard. Especially when you're holding for the long term. I want you to go to Barron's after tonight and look up this article, How to Turn 3,000 into 41 Million. Uh, Lessons from Investing in a Century. Um, Kudos to Al for that amazing article. Number two, the best companies in the world focus on global domination across multiple industries. Homework item number two, I want you to go look at the number of companies that Apple and Amazon have acquired since 2003. They look like Lucian Grange's budget for acquisition of uh, artists at Universal. If you look at everything that they've acquired, it's 20 to 40 companies inside of those businesses that comprises one brand, that being Apple and Amazon and Microsoft as well. Second tier companies focus on incremental growth in their competitors. So back in the day, back in the bomber days, there was an overemphasis on trying to beat Apple. There was not a high emphasis on being best for your customer. So for those of you with businesses that own brands, obsess over your customers or clients lives getting better kudos to you in the stock club um i, know, I don't know i was answering if you guys call, but i've tried to do my damn best to give you some of the highest returns in the market um and then if you look amazon shipped 1.5 billion packages over the holidays that's going to put a lot of pressure on postal service dhl and any other uh, carrier as well so they've acquired 11 more planes to ship faster and at some point we may even have same day shipping be a norm in a five or six year period Number three, please write this down. Marry the brand that you love the most if there's a religious movement behind it. Let me say it again. Marry the brand that you love the most if there's a religious movement behind it. The Apple Store is a church. Steve Jobs was the messianic figure. Apple was, of course, their version of the cross. The iPad was their Bible. Tesla is going through a similar run now. You can argue in the 1980s and 1990s that ibm had a similar structure amazon is going through it now starbucks and there's nike there's about 15 brands we can name but if you absolutely love a brand and everyone tells you that you're crazy and even for those of you that love bitcoin right um if there is a brand that you love you need to tie your money to that potentially i'm not an advisor so i can not tell you what to do but tie your money to that for the lifetime of you investing into the market. Um, it's the 14th anniversary of Apple's iPhone. 10,000 in would have been 447,000 now. I remember having the first iPhone. I did not invest 10 grand. I kicked myself in the ass for it every single day. So I'm telling you from personal experience. And then as you get older, for those of you that are in your 20s, you're going to feel like your 30s are never going to come. And you're going to look up, you're going to have kids and responsibilities and bills. And you're going to be like, damn, I should have invested. I was into this hot thing when it was first getting popular. A 10 year holding period is almost perfect for every asset class. Please write this down. So the average return for indexes 7 to 12%. If you look at tech the average return on a yearly basis is going to be between 15 and 32% depending on which company you pick. The average return for real estate is 10.5% and the average return for art over the same period is 10% a year over the last 4 decades. So a 5 year horizon is actually short. And tonight, I'm going to give you the time frame that works the best to hold your investment to almost guarantee that you will receive a return on your investment. Now, uh, these, This is key. Please write this down. If you don't take anything else from our segment from the show, write this down. The three most important indicators in investing. One, quantitative easing. So if the Fed stops printing money, especially during the recession, we will go to hell in the handbasket very fast. Number two, the inverted yield curve. We talked about it many times. It's the only indicator that predicts recessions 100% of the time. And every single one of you that are watching should have an alert set for when we cross. Number three, a 20-year hold in the market. So 10 years in the S&P 500, you will be positive 94.1% of the time, which is amazing. That takes almost all the risk away. But if you hold the S&P Five hundred over a twenty-year period, and you can look over any twenty-year period. You're damn near guaranteed to win. Now, of course, investing has considerable risks. That would change if the Fed stops printing money. If we lose our stronghold and venture capital, Silicon Valley, and them transitioning from incubation to going public, that could change. Fiat currency, of course, could be an issue. There's a a bunch of threats that are there. And also, we'll talk one day about where we are in the cycle of empires. And maybe I'll I'll ask Josh that tonight as well. But over a 20-year period, you won't lose in a market. And I know the tough part is if you're getting started, you're like, I don't want to wait 20 damn years to see a return. I'm not saying that you have to wait 20 to see a return. But over a 20-year period, especially if you have kids or grandchildren, it's the best time frame for you to hold through. Look at this. I love this. The grandchildren that you love will have freedom based on the decisions that you make today. And kudos to all the amazing grandparents out there. Lord knows I love mine. And for those of you that still have your grandparents, call them today. Because I would do anything to be able to talk to mine. But look at this. Since inception, Microsoft, born ass Microsoft, and even through that bad decade, Bomber, I kudos to you if you're listening. Maybe he'll come on the show. Um Microsoft is up 359,000% since inception. Apple is up 124,000% since inception. And you guys can go to macrotrends.net if you think that I've fell off a chair and hit my head and made these numbers up. Bitcoin is up 96,000% since 2011. And I'm not the biggest Bitcoin uh, fanboy there is, but you can't argue with the growth, especially since 2011. And then Monster Beverage is a company that people still continue to sleep on year after year. They're up 366,000%. Now, let me ask you this How much better would your life have been if your grandparents had invested in one of these companies for you? And there's some, for those of you that love Tesla, if you think that Tesla will have a run and Neuralink will dominate and SpaceX will dominate, are you willing to hold? Tesla of 20, 30, 40 years for your grandchildren so they can have a better life. I want you to make the decision because it will greatly affect, and if they act up, you can always take the money and use it for yourself. And for those of you that have passed on money to your children, you know usually in two or three generations they blow the money anyway. So it's a good hedge for yourself. We talked about this before, but time in the market, so the length of time that you hold, plus capability to time the market Plus, investing in assets with low drawdown is a gift from God. So if you look at Apple, you can do this. Go to microtrends.net, and you can see how often does a company or index drawdown. Drawdown means to lose money. So Apple is up over a 40-year period, 67.5% of the time. The crazy part is, over the last decade, they haven't closed negative 10% for 10 years. Now, 2008, they had a rough patch of course. And before um, this next transition and shift of power from Steve running the company to Tim running it, they had quite a few more drawdowns. But to look at the last decade and for a company with that market cap to not have drawn down and stayed under 10% is absolutely amazing. And this is one, when I saw it, I was like, I cannot believe this is true because of COVID. 23% of all money that's ever been printed in the history of the Fed was done in 2020. You need the market to be able to hedge. Now, I don't think we'll, I'm not an economist, but I don't think we'll print this much money again in 2021. But given everything that happened in the capital, the second and third strains being prevalent, and we are still in a little bit of an economic uh, upheaval, we're going to have to print again an order. And people are fighting now One or more than 600, we're going to have to print again. I think the Fed misstepped and didn't print early enough. But the market is the hedge because otherwise inflation is going to eat a lot of the gains and savings that you guys have put away. And this is one of the biggest ones. Um, I need you to eliminate all personal debt at all costs, especially credit cards, especially if your rate is like 24%, 25%. It's unbelievable because you're technically, if you have a credit card that is giving you that's 24% interest on it. Any gains that you get in the market if you invest in long-term, it's a cancer to your portfolio and your freedom. So this year, we're going to talk a lot more about the personal finance side, but it's hard to get to wealth if you have all these looming debts over you. So I know student loan is tough. But personal credit card, car, mortgage, let's try and keep those to as minimal as possible. And this is a key lesson I wish I knew and I missed out on the last Great Recession. And that's why I went all in uh, post-2009 to learn this. But you never want to waste a good recession that is lifted through quantitative easing. I want to be very clear. If we go into a recession in 2027 and the Fed said, I am not going to print money to offset these losses, I won't invest a damn dime in the market. I don't think that I'm so genius that I was the reason that the market went up because I called a few spots and you know bought a crystal ball off eBay the great lever was quantitative easing that helped us a ton. So be mindful of that. And this is key. When doing your analysis of a company from one of the greatest investors that there is in the market today, can this company help 1 billion people over 30 years? I want you to divide that number hypothetically so you get an average and that will tell you how many people that company would then expect to help. And then you can play with some price targets and see how much money that company can make. But in your evaluation of a company, so Tesla, one of them, yes. Apple, yes. NVIDIA, AMD, especially as the gaming market grows, yes. Can this company that I'm about to invest in help 1 billion people over 30 years? That has to be a fundamental analysis question that you ask when doing your assessment of any company. And on a trading side, um, this is really key, especially for all my traders. You have to assume that you're wrong in every damn trade that you trade that you take until profit is secured. So whether you do that with a trailing stop or let's say after you're up 10%, you manually lock in 3% until you are in profit, because even with slippage things can happen. You can have a flash crash. Until you are in profit, you are not safe. Death is knocking on your doorstep. Because anytime we say, I know this one is going to win, those are the ones that are going to fall apart. Everyone went crazy about Kodak last year and thought it was going to do great. Hurts the same. And then people end up getting crushed on the backside of those trades. And hyper reduction of positions um, is key. Some I'll talk to some of you and some of you have 55 positions. I'm like, you made your own mutual farm. You might as well compete against Kathy at that point. You need to reduce some of the positions that you have and laser focus on a few winning companies. These are the things that I wished that I knew um, at the age of 21 to help me become a better investor because until you have a formula that works for you, there's gonna be, uh, sense of intimidation and you need a process to help offset that. And even with the process, emotions kick in and we may deviate. And this is why this one is key. Homework for the week. I hope that we've earned a spot in, into your top five, but I, this year I only want you to focus on listening to five podcasts on investing, five books and five newsletters and trash everything else. Trash everything else. Cause the more information that you take in, is actually going to hurt you and you're actually going to take less action because you're going to get too many conflicting statements. So I hope we earned our way into that spot. And for those of you that didn't get the book list last week, I'll be sure to send it out, but you can go to the site and I'll enter this in for you. And I'll tell you what my five podcasts are. Uh, my five favorites, which of course Mark and Muddes is in there. My five favorite books and then five newsletters that you should follow. But you have all the information that you need. We've been here every week for almost a year. You have CNBC some of you guys listen to Josh and Bono and you have everything that you need and more reduction of media sources is going to help you perform a hell of a lot better. So um, thank you guys so much. I want to keep it short so we can get our amazing guest on and then also get some insight from Troy and Rashad. Thank you. Appreciate you bro.
3: Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Definitely. Great, great presentation as always. Thank you for that. Thank you, brother. Thank you Conley. Yes, for sure. For sure. So, um, uh, whatever, <clears throat> without further ado, Yeah, I think he's here. He is definitely here. He was
8: here early. So um, let's get him on. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash card.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
9: There we go. So, so you guys, you guys got to understand that I'm a fan of the show. So I knew, <laughs> so I knew Ian was gonna set the table, and I had to be here on time. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
4: Josh, let me let, let me apologize in advance. I would have had Kooji Rap playing, but the way YouTube
9: says, oh, it, man, they, they, next they, time they, yeah, you lose
4: because you got the L <laughs> C <LC> Blues. Uh,
9: <laughs> Can I tell you that that's that's the interpolated version? Because I'm not trying to get sued. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, a, a DJ friend of mine does all the music for our shit, and uh, I, I love it. Um, yeah, I love right it, back. I'm like, ooh, good one, good choice, good choice. Yeah, good uh, one choice. A, you know, one other thing on Ian, and he was just dropping jewelry all over the place, but uh, even if my shit was on mute, just for the tie, shirt, and suit combo, I, that would have been like, that would have been like worth the early check. <laughs> I, I have to step it up for you, I appreciate it. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, man, that's you know that's Captain that Dan right there. No cap, man.
9: no cap, my man is killing. Me. <laughs> that's hilarious.
4: Hey, hey, we we saw Biggie in the background, so you know we had to do it as well in honor no of, of, this, of say, this moment. Oh
9: shit, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> and you got the thirty six chambers. Yo, what's the what's the YouTube thing? Is that a plaque for a number of subs?
3: Yeah, hundred hundred thousand. I'm not there yet. I'm,
9: <laughs> I'm at <laughs> I'm at I'm at sixty. Sorry,
3: sorry, sorry. This am trying.
9: To, I'm trying to learn from you guys,
3: though. So rich, but nah, Josh Brown, thank you for joining us. Anybody that's not familiar with Josh, Josh is an investor. He's a star of CNBC's halftime report. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because everybody I speak to, they like, oh, that's my favorite person. Like I told Wall Street Trapper, mm-hmm. I told Wall Street Trapper, I'm like, we got Josh Brown. He's like, from CNBC? He's like, yeah. oh, well, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. like,
4: oh, <laughs> He's like,
7: that's,
4: that's so my nice. I, said it, I said it to you. I'm like, yo, for real? Yo, you're my favorite guy. I watch him every time, every
9: day yeah. I do. <laughs> oh, yes. wow. Guys, I'm blushing. Thank you. Thank
4: you. You're, 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 you're the
3: people's champ. Um, oh, thank you. And, and also, I want to make sure I say the name correctly. You are the head uh, CEO of Ritz Holtz.
9: Well, that's yeah, not, yeah. not an easy one. Ritz, uh, Ritz Holtz. Ritholtz, Ritholtz, Ritholtz. So a lot of a lot of people say Ritholtz because it's th, but it's 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 Ritholtz. My partner is of German descent, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Just okay. call him pre- just call him pretzel. <laughs> Ritholtz Wealth Management. Uh, Barry is a. Uh, a lot of people don't know this the history. Barry is the first financial blogger. Like him and Jim oh. Cramer, started at the same time. Barry was writing on a website called GeoCities which is probably older than most of the people watching this right now. But uh, that's when you would write a post for 30 minutes and then code it for 30 minutes. Like there was no editor. And uh, then he started writing for thestreet.com with Kramer. And then he started his own blog. There was no such thing as blogs when he started the blog. They didn't call it that. It was just like a page that he was writing on. So So he's like a pioneer of just doing investing content on the web back to like late 90s. So he's one of the first financial bloggers that inspired me to start my blog in 2008. So my my thing's already like 12 years old, but I, I wanted to be Barry. So we got to partner uh, in business, which was just an amazing thing because when I met him, I had nothing going on. And he's like, listen, I need you. I'm like, you need me? I don't, I don't have a pot to piss. And he's like, listen, I got all these people asking me to help them with their money but I don't do that. I'm not a financial advisor. You're a financial advisor and you get what I'm doing cuz you have a blog. Come work with me. That changed my life. I I swear to you I was I was broke at that moment and that was in uh 2010. So it's really a, a decade since uh Barry changed my life by asking me to partner up with him. So amazing things like that happen all the time. We can get we can go as deep on that stuff as you want like um, inspirational shit but like I just I wanted to start with that story because uh I I didn't walk out of Harvard uh, with an MBA and start managing money right out of the gates like I had to really scratch and claw to get to where I am and I think a lot of people appreciate that uh, now and I appreciate it now I didn't appreciate it at the time uh, but that's that's my that's my background just to give people a little bit of an idea before we get into this
3: no I appreciate that and I gotta give a shout out to MG, a mortgage guy, and his better half, Tony. Tony, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tony. yeah. <laughs> Tony. Tony's a happy person. belated. Yes, happy belated for sure. She's a personal shopper. And um, I guess her and, and your wife, I guess, are cool. And
9: yeah, my wife loves her. I mean, <laughs> my, my wife and my wife's mother have been working with Tony for, it's gotta be like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> like for, and my wife is a, a, a one person stimulus machine. For department stores all over the tri-state area, so yeah, yeah. T- Tony's very persuasive. So, so, so Tony, Tony means <laughs> federal. Connection.
3: So definitely, <laughs> uh, shout out to Tony, the best personal shopper out there right now. Hands down. Yeah, if you're looking to get your your personal shopping drip together. Yeah. She got I got my Tony, card on fire. I Tony the Closer, um, they did a shopping spree was, in, that in was, Miami. That was silly. So um, shout out to MG and shout out to Tony for sure. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah,
4: appreciate you leaving the cake uh, as I'm trying to change my life for your <laughs> birthday. Thanks. You. So <laughs> let's,
3: let's get into it. Josh, you got a lot, we all got a lot of questions for you. So, all right. My first question is um, another one of your fans. Shout out to our guy, Jamal. He likes you a lot. And he, Jamal always, talk, every, anytime the market goes down, because I'm heavy in tech, he always tell me like, the rotation is happening. It's rotating. It's rotating. <laughs> yeah. Like the money's rotating. It's rotating out of tech, financials. Da, da, da. So, shout out to our other friend, Bam. He made a lot of money in XLF Whoa. on that option okay. play. So, the financials, yeah. are we seeing a rotate? First of all, how do you feel about financials? And are we seeing a, a, a rotation into financials in 2021? How, how do you feel about that in XLF, things of that nature?
9: So, this is maybe. This is maybe uh, I, I'm long some financials. Like I own uh, I own JPMorgan Chase shares. I've owned I've owned it forever. I'm never selling. That's my that's my mentality as an investor, by the way, which we, we could talk more about. So a lot of that rotation stuff gets lost on me because I'm not going to try to jump from one to the other. I'm diversified. I try to own it all, and and uh, so I'm in some financials. The problem with the financial sector is that the largest companies all are dinosaurs and. You know, a lot of people, they don't even think twice, like, oh, where does the S&P come from? How do companies get categorized into these sectors, right? Like, they just, they think it's like a naturally occurring phenomenon. It's not. It's a committee. Ian will tell you that there's a, Standard & Poor's is a business, a company. They have an index committee, and they say, you're a financial, you're a consumer staple, you're a utility. And it used to be easy. It was obvious. What's a bank? It had a... It has a marble lobby and pens (laughs) on chains It's a bank. They did something really stupid, not on purpose. They, they, They screwed up. When all these next generation financial companies, fintech companies came along, the stuff that you guys talk about every day, they categorized them as tech stocks. Do you know that PayPal, which arguably is the most important financial company in the world right now, is considered by the Standard & Poor's Index Committee to be a technology company, a software company, if that were in the XLF, the XLF would be five times higher. They don't even have Square in there. Mm -hmm. Square is literally merchant financial services. Like, you couldn't get more financial services than Square. It's in the tech bucket. It's not in the financial services bucket. They did this over and over and over again, and what they ended up with was a sector that nobody would want to own. It's dominated by Massive banks that are getting their asses disrupted and massive insurance companies. And that's why it's, it's I don't think it's made a new high since '07. I think it's still below the 07 uh, price, which is unbelievable. Imagine holding a sector and being break even after 14 years. Yeah, tough. But, so, all right. So what do I think of financials? I think we have to look outside of the sector if we want to make money in this space. So I also own Mastercard. By the way, Mastercard. You would ask somebody, "Is that a financial stock?" Yes. No. Software. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in. It's it's in tech. It makes no sense because yeah. American Express is in financials. So why would you have American Express in the financial index? Visa and Mastercard in the tech index. Yeah, because they did right. They're in Xlk. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Stupid. But that's so. So you gotta. So I'll button this up. I'm sorry for the rant. so you gotta like (laughs) gotta think for yourself you can't rely on the index by the way walmart and target one's a consumer staple one's a consumer discretionary you tell me why i don't know why right Just tons (laughs) of random shit like that so you gotta you gotta think for yourself and don't just think sector think company
4: Uh, i got a question about another sector um and obviously everybody's high on tesla big on tesla we saw what Neo just did and um Shout out to Neo um, and anybody that 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 was in that early, um, but as we see more EV companies and uh, rise, I wonder what that does to uh, the energy sector, specifically oils and, and companies like Exxon and Chevron going forward.
9: Yeah, Tesla is now bigger than the entire energy sector put together. You know that? Yep. Sick. That's sick because as recently as 2013. Exxon was one of the top five companies in the world by market cap, and for brief periods of that year, it was number one. That's crazy. It's yeah. seven years later, and Tesla, which had only been public for three years in 2013, is now the fourth largest market cap in the S and P. CEO, one of the richest, uh, the richest person on earth, or first and second, tied with uh, Bezos. Um, so the it's not just the magnitude of the change; it's the the um, the speed the speed of the 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 speed at which things are changing. It's unbelievable. And so then the question is like, did we see the highest demand we'll ever see for barrels of oil? I think there's an argument that we have. So that's going to be a sector that shrinks. Now, if you're an equity investor, you own the stocks of those companies, that's not necessarily a death sentence, but I do think that you want to prioritize balance sheet versus any other consideration If you're buying oil companies, because, you know, the game now is going to be consolidation in any industry that's shrinking. Mm -hmm. The next phase is not there's no more growth companies. So now we already know the pie. This is the pie. It's never going to be this ever again. Right. Oil consumption. It's it's never going to be this. So it can only be this and then this and then this and then this. So which company can gobble up the biggest slice of that pie? So that's the first thing. The second thing, Exxon may be getting religion now, but they were mad slow to this idea of like, if we want to be an energy company for the next 30 years, it can't be on oil. BP and Royal Dutch Shell told their shareholders to prepare for huge capital expenditures because we're going to go wind. We're going to go geothermal. We're going to make big investments and stuff that is not going to be profitable for a long time. Because we want to be around, and Exxon under what's his name, the guy that went to work for Trump, uh, Rex, Exxon was like, "Nah, we're gonna stick to, uh, we're gonna stick to dinosaur bones. We're gonna stick to." <laughs> and now they got a reverse course. That was a bad decision. So some of the gigantic oil companies today will be gigantic uh, green energy companies in the future. That, trans- that transformation, though, could be very painful for their shareholders today. And remember, a lot of their shareholders are there for dividends. Those dividends are not promised. Right. That's not like an interest rate on a bond where you could take it to the bank. Dividends, when we saw we saw hundreds of companies cut their dividends this year for you know for good reason. Um, so I-, I would just be careful with that space. You can make money. You can certainly trade oil, oil and gas stocks, but from a long-term investment perspective, you want to pick the companies that seem to be committed to the next, you know, to the next episode, which is not going to be, you know, crushed up dinosaurs.
4: <laughs> you got. I, so, I think did Ian get the ask question? No, nah, I, I you know, know you mean? got a
9: bunch. That Ian.
4: But, but, Ian I, but I got before, a few. Before, go, before
3: go ahead. I, you know, it's interesting that you say that because they call it fossil fuel. You know, that's why they call it fossil fuel, right? Because of the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. and that's just really bizarre. Because it, does, it doesn't come from dinosaurs. I think
9: I learned that on the Flintstones. So it just it doesn't <laughs> come from dinosaurs. It comes from uh, organic matter, like plants and vegetation and dead dinosaurs. And just, it's. <laughs> it's <laughs> dinosaurs. I'm, a, I'm an amateur geologist there with me. No, but you just look. A lot of, we're not going to do a whole Trump thing tonight, but a lot of the frustration in this country uh, is coming from places that historically, People earned good livings um, pulling oil out of the ground, pulling coal out of the ground. And their daddy did it, their pappy and their grandpappy, the whole thing. And that has been taken from them. But that wasn't taken from them by Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. That was taken from them by economics because fracking, the technology of fracking made it so that these things are just not viable the way they used to be, to power uh, power plants. Because we discovered through fracking that we are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. Between the United States and Canada, we have a 200-year supply of natural gas. So of course coal is dead. It's not political. It's economics. It's not viable anymore. Forget about what it does to the environment. So natural gas is the bridge fuel. And then you look at some of these companies like Albemarle, um, mining lithium, and you cannot make hybrid or electric vehicles without lithium-ion batteries. Maybe someday you can. You can't right now. So ALB is a stock that I think it's 180. Um, uh, th- this is a stock that uh, it's in the chemical sector. It's an industrial, uh, but this is very much a company that's part of the future because they've got the whole lithium game on smash. There's like f- there's like five companies. And other than ALB, the rest of them are all from Chile. So people would rather buy the American one. So like, that's, if I'm an energy investor, that's where I'm looking. I'm not looking at whale oil, you know? Like the shit that powers <laughs> the 21st century. I'm just, that's fine. I, don't, I don't have, have a mindset to the of let me buy, yeah, let me buy what used to work. My mindset is always like, if I'm gonna be an investor and be in something for decades, yes, I might get disrupted, but I don't wanna get disrupted on purpose. I want to at least give myself a chance to own something that's going to be uh, sustainable.
5: Um, I want to thank you for being here. You should have brought Batnick and Ben too, but um, I appreciate you for being here. Um, And also, I want to tell you, thank you for also being like the Mark Haynes of our generation. Oh, wow. uh, Candidate that that he has. So um, long time. So thank you. Yeah. As far as the classifications with um, tech, do you think that this tech run is real or is it because we... Tech got his ass kicked from 2000 to 2009, and now it's kind of like being the new S&P. And my second question would be, uh, can you walk us through what your mentality as an investor
9: is? Okay, so the tech thing, I think we better hope it's real, because technology stocks are now 25% of the S&P 500. So a quarter of the stock market is based on technology. And by the way, that's understated. We were talking Mm -hmm. about sector classifications before. Um, Facebook's not in the tech sector. It's Mm -hmm. in the communication sector. Mm -hmm. Amazon is a consumer discretionary. Don't ask me why. Yeah, Because they used to sell books. I don't know. It's it's the biggest cloud company on earth, and it's not in in the tech sector, but whatever. So that number, that 25% is probably understated. I would say like half the market. Yeah, I think
5: 42% or something like that.
9: Yeah. And then think about like biotech is a whole other thing that we didn't even get into. Um, But that's, you know, those are technology companies. So it better be for real. Uh, I think the big difference between now and 2000 and 2001, which I was around for, mm-hmm. when they beat up all these technology companies, the difference then is that not only did they not have earnings, and these companies today are earning a fortune, some of them had no revenue, and some of them didn't even have a business plan. Yeah. Some of them were like, we got, a, we got a URL, let's go public, and the bankers were like, yeah, let's go public, because There's a saying on Wall Street, when the ducks are quacking, feed them. The ducks Mm. were quacking. The ducks wanted more product. So Wall Street investment bankers from coast to coast, right, uh, just ramming new stocks into the market every day. And eventually, we were choking on it. We're choking on supply. And that's what put the top into the market. We're going to get there again. Mm. We're not there yet. When Airbnb opens above a $100 billion valuation on its first day, that tells you there's still more fuel uh, in the tank. We're not quite at the point where we're choking on new supply of IPOs and SPACs. And we did like 300 IPOs this year, NASDAQ and, and NYSE. Uh, SPACs were maybe half. Half mm-hmm. the deals, not half the, the size, but whatever. We're going to get to a point where they give us too much and it's too heavy and that That um, puts too much pressure on our shoulders, and you see the market start to fall on good news, and you see like IPOs come out and close down for the day. That'll be your signal that risk appetites have been satiated, the ducks have been fed, and we're we're heading into a new bear market. But well, what time horizon would that be?
5: Is there a time horizon historically that that presents itself, or is it? 40 companies with a trillion dollar market cap or half a billion dollar like what is there a ratio that you're looking for
9: no I, I think it's uh i think it's you know it's not science i wish it were mm-hmm. like there is there's no formula because if there were a formula we like we would all know it and it would be rendered you know useless, useless. so that's true i think it's it's like uh pornography i can't define it i know when i see it you okay know what I'm saying? okay I don't know where the line is exactly, but I, I when I see it, I know. Josh, right? you, you brought up the uh, Airbnb. <laughs> you guys ah. see the you guys see the Best Friends video?
3: Best Friends, who, 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 who's that? The best, the that? Best
9: Friend video with Doja Cat and uh, Megan. Oh and yeah, Minaj. Yeah. So I don't know if that's through the line or not. I just know I won't let my daughter watch that show. Teetering.
5: It's teetering. <laughs> got you right on the line.
9: It's I don't know which side of the line, but it's teet- teetering. <laughs> Very, my it's teetering. daughter's. My daughter's 14, like this in front of the uh, YouTube. And I look at the screen, I'm like, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) Somebody left me
3: funny. (laughs) 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 Oh wait, shout out to everybody on YouTube. 6,500 people on the check-in. We had a tour record territory. Don't forget (laughs) to hit the
4: like button. The big, big, big show. Josh, you brought up IPOs um, and uh, obviously you talked about Airbnb and and that was a crazy day And, and Yo, you're,
9: you're losing your whole audience. Everybody's, uh, everybody's searching for Dojacat right now.
4: <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Business, Business Insider said that uh, we had over 422 IPOs open next year. Is there like a rule of thumb when investing, uh, in that in that sector? Or do you do you look to six months, or how, what is your thoughts when when investing in a new IPO?
9: So I've been in a bunch of IPOs. I I I don't do that in size because I don't think that I'm knowledgeable enough to really be able to tell what's going to work, what's not. It's just not my expertise. But every once in a while with like a little bit of money on the side, I'll do something like that. So I was in unity, for example, ticker you. Uh, I owned it pre-IPO, um, part of a fund that owned it pre-IPO, and I'm still in that one. I was in some others that, you know, we flipped out of. But it's not a really big part of my business, to be honest with you. I wish that there were a rule of thumb where you could say like, this is the right length of time to stay with an IPO, et cetera. Um, but a lot of that depends on the overall market environment. And in some environments, it's different than others. Uh, what I what I found really interesting about the IPOs this year, a lot of people think that all these SPACs that came along, and I know you guys have talked about this before. Um, a lot of people looked at that and said, oh, it's speculative. It's so risky. They had it twisted. It's the opposite. Here's what's going on with the SPAC boom. Can you talk about the SPAC? Like, what is is, is that? All right. So it's a special purpose acquisition corporation. It differs from an, it goes public like an IPO, Mm -hmm. but it differs from an IPO in that it's not an operating business. It's basically a famous investor and a bunch of his friends and contacts or her friends and contacts. They pool their money. They go public to get other people to bring money into the pool. And they say, we have the next 12 to 18 months to use this pile of cash to go buy an operating business. And then we're gonna change the name of our SPAC, our Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation, into the name of that business. So that's how DraftKings went public a year ago. Um, so DraftKings was a private company, operated, they sold to a one of these publicly traded pools of capital and that's how they ended up becoming a public company. And the stock has done really, really well because DraftKings is is crushing it right now. So that's an example of when it goes right, okay. The thing with the SPACs, though, that a lot of people don't understand is that hedge funds love SPACs. And why do they love them? Because hedge funds get paid to invest.
7: Mm-hmm. When
9: they sit in cash, they don't collect their fee on that portion of their portfolio. So, like, picture this. You're a $10 billion hedge fund. You you feel like you really don't want to have a lot at stake right now because the market's high, whatever. So, you could put that money into SPACs and it's the equivalent of sitting in cash. And mm. then, when that SPAC announces a deal and there's a pop, you could flip out if you don't, you could just sell it if you don't like the deal. In the meantime, you were able to bill on those assets. Hedge <sighs> funds bill 2% management fee just for sitting there. So, it was a way for them to not sit in cash and earn billing on assets that were effectively cash. So, people are like, oh, yo. It's a speculative mania. Everybody's buying SPACs. No, don't get it fucked up. They're in these things because <laughs> they're not taking risk. Yeah. They're getting paid to not take risk. It's the, You have it backwards. That's and that, now, now, when does it get speculative? When the SPAC announces the deal. Like one of Chamath's SPACs announced their deal the other day on the air with us. SoFi, right? he had mm-hmm. Anthony Noto mm-hmm. uh, uh, has a private company called SoFi so Chamat's group is buying it it had a big pop i think it, it was up 16 17% on that news if you stay in it now is when the risk portion begins because now it's got an operating company you're you're paying valuation on that etc that doesn't mean it's good or bad i'm just saying now it's not cash now it's a deal so uh, i think we need i think that nuance gets lost in all of the breathless coverage of like IPOs, SPACs, people don't even understand what's going on. There's always a game behind the game. That's the game behind the game.
5: That's interesting. For for the advisors and the wealth managers, you talked a lot about client alpha being more important than asset allocation. What's like a perfect mix for you as an advisor? And then like when someone like Kathy comes on board and just takes the world by storm, as an advisor, do you adjust your strategy? And do you and Barry talk about how to offset the perception of everyone running to Arc, or did you just stay true to the course uh, Look, with the clients?
9: We, we own all those stocks, but we don't own them in concentrated positions. Like we own the Qs. Okay. I have, I got Tesla. I got I got all that shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, we're not making concentrated bets. And here is where we dip, by the way, shout out to Kathy Wood, active manager of the year. Mm. A lot of people don't know, she's 65 years old. So yeah. this is not an overnight sensation. Like she worked her whole career yeah, and built her contacts and her research ability. She she deserves this moment um, in the spotlight and all her success. Um, I hung out with her on stage at a Bloomberg event. She was like in a leather jacket. I'm just like, you're you're killing it. She's mm-hmm. like, no, not me. No, I'm not killing it. Yes, you are. Um wanna be in the same stock she's in. The difference is we are working with clients who are, for the most part, already rich, mm-hmm. and we have a different responsibility to these families. The responsibility to these families is to keep them rich. So we can have portions of their portfolio in speculative areas of the market, high valuation stocks, cutting edge technology, innovation. I love all that shit. I love it. I just can't have most of their money because we saw today. I don't. You guys, what you guys watch uh, the ticker at all today. Yep. Uh Bitcoin had a twenty percent drawdown today.
3: Yeah, yep. I called that last week last week. Yeah. Oh did you? We, we've yeah. been we've been in that space
9: before yeah. right? we've seen these yeah. large pullbacks. So we know that this is part of the game. Yeah. Now now it's a lot of fun on the way up, but there's two things. The first is stocks, and I consider Bitcoin a stock right now. I know it's not, but it is. Um stocks take the stairs up and the elevator down. <laughs> We're clearly sure. seeing a version of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I I'm not saying forty thousand is the top, but what if it was? And you had twenty percent of your assets in that. You know what I'm saying? Like you you forget about percent. When you're dealing with wealthy families, so you have a family that's got five million dollars and they're counting on that money to fund their lifestyle, fund their children's lifestyle, et cetera. And then that five million turned into four million in one day. Like, how do you how do you even pick up the phone and have that conversation? So we're trying to take the appropriate level of risk for each family that we deal with. And it's always different. And so that's why when people like, what's a good rule of thumb? I wish there were a great answer. The reality is the answer is going to be different for every person and every person's situation, um, which is why generalized financial advice is so difficult.
3: So let me let me ask you, I got a couple of questions. But first question is, um, we we live in New York. I know you live in New York, so you can, you know, appreciate it. Just, it's Long like, Island. Shout out, to, <laughs> shout out to Long Island. Um, what do For your firm, I know you said you work with wealthy people already. Yeah. What, do you, what do you consider to be wealthy?
9: So I should amend that. We have an automated asset management platform for people with less than a million dollars in, in liquid assets. Uh, It's called Liftoff. The URL is liftoffinvest.com. Michael Batnick created all the portfolios on there. And that's a 50 basis point annual fee. It's a phenomenal service. Um, I I have accounts set up on there for my kids. So we're not only investing for wealthy people. So um, Liftoff's got families that we care about. They just haven't gotten to a million dollars yet. So that's a very easy online platform. It's built using Betterment's technology. Okay. Uh, and our portfolios. So it's sick. And we love the guys at Betterman, good friends with those guys. Um, so Liftoff Invest is, is for younger investors, newer investors, people who haven't gotten to a million, but our wealth management, um, platform is a million dollars liquid and up. Which means net of the house, net of, you know, any
2: other
9: non-liquid assets like we want to be able to invest at least a million dollars in people and it's not because uh we think that only they are worthy of that high touch financial plan it's just that to run a business you can't say yes to everybody and you have to draw the line somewhere for different advisors that line is drawn in different places yeah. i know guys you know, managing NBA guys, uh, guys money. And they're not talking to anyone of less than 20 million.
3: Well, they, um, that, that's why I was asking. I wasn't asking. Cause I, I know how it is as far as like, you know, you gotta, yeah, it, you can't make a profit if somebody's just investing $5,000 in the IRA. It's just, is what it is. But the reason why I asked is when we interviewed Mark Cuban, one of the things he said, he was like, um, you know, a million dollars is not, it's not going to do it. And he was like, you no, know, when you get it, it's $1, not, like, not going to be enough. He's like, you feel good about yourself, but you got you got to be very careful and have a lot of respect for that million dollars because million dollars is not that's not it. I'm not gonna last you a So
9: lifetime. I mean, everybody. A million has different- dollars is not a million dollars anymore, but it hasn't been for a long time. Remember in Austin Powers when uh,
7: yeah. when
9: Doctor <sighs> Evil like holds a whole world ransom for a, like one million dollars, yeah. <laughs> like it hasn't. And that was a funny joke in 1998 or whenever austin powers came out so a new- so new- million dollars is not in new, york,
3: in new york right now what are you looking at 10 million 15 million 20 million what's the number to say okay okay you're good
9: you live in you live in manhattan you need a car you need a garage right so a thousand dollar on the car lease 600 a month on the on the garage then you want to get the hell out of there every summer so you need a house in the Hamptons. <laughs> then your kids have to go to private school Right? Because all your friends' kids go to private school. Mm-hmm. Um oh, it, by jet like it and now you're paying every tax known to mankind in New York City, like the absolute one of the worst places for taxation. And these days you're not even getting your money's worth. Like you're paying all that tax for what? So you go to Broadway show, not this year. <laughs> you go to a restaurant, not this year. So it's a very tough situation, like Manhattan living and in, in, in a lot of areas of Brooklyn, that kind of lifestyle, it's very, very difficult. You have to really want that because the amount that your lifestyle costs you, like obviously your money goes so much further almost everywhere else in America. So I think a lot of the people that are committed to that and willing to work the hours and do what it takes to earn those incomes, I think what they have in common from what I've seen, either there's family money already that's like trust funds and stuff that's funding part of that lifestyle cost, uh, because it's way easier to spend money you didn't earn than money you did earn, right? Um, So I think that's a big part of it. And then I think another big part of it is is dual income. I don't know of a lot of families, people that I know, uh, who are doing it on one person's income, since a husband working and a wife working, and that's part of why they want to be in the city to be nearer to their job. Now, one thing that coronavirus just probably changed forever, blew up forever, even when the economy reopens, even when we get back to work, employers are no longer going to be as concerned with how many hours you sit in their facility for, or mm-hmm. even how many days. If anything, do, do me a favor, come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Do me a favor, work the first three days of the week, don't come in Thursday, Friday. Like Because now- Employers are going to have the flexibility because now they figured it out. I've been doing this since we built a remote company starting in 2013. Okay, oh. So I had employees on the other side of the country, more employees outside of New York than in New York from from Jump Street. Now every company like Google, Facebook, Twitter, they have now figured out all of this money being spent to keep their employees living in big cities and paying these astronomical rents. having these insane costs of living for what who is this who is this going for how is this helping anybody so there's going to be more flexibility than ever to work for your dream you know work at your dream company and work with the people you want to work with and you don't we now are at a point where employers are going to feel that hey i don't have to see this person every day to know they're doing their shit so that's what this pandemic has changed so you want to live in new york and and be in a position where you have to have ten million dollars, or you want to live in St. Louis and and have three million dollars and live like the people and in 10. New York City yep. who have ten. Like that's I'm not saying one's good, one's bad. You now have the choice, whereas you didn't have the choice pre-pandemic. So, the
4: pandemic has obviously changed your business, and and one of the things I, I was listening to your podcast is the importance of cybersecurity. Yeah, yeah, so c- can you get into that and how it was kind of one of those things that you didn't think about, but it was like, wait, we need this, especially for oh, remote man. since you were ahead of the curve.
9: I didn't even know how much risk we, we were in until I hired somebody to like, look at all our shit. And they're like, yo, you have 30 something people running around the country. Each one of them has a phone, a laptop. All of these are what are called endpoints.
7: Yeah. And if
9: you can get into one of these endpoints, You can tunnel your way deeper into the core of any organization, right? Like it doesn't really take that much for a very skilled. So this is going to be, in my opinion, one of the biggest bull market opportunities of our lifetime. Over the next 10 years, the amount of money being spent on cybersecurity is going to outpace spending on any other type of uh, software, in in my opinion, based on everything I've read. Um, it's going to it's gonna keep pace with things like 5G and the cloud, and it's going to outpace virtually everything else. Because if you can't secure your employees' devices, your corporate network, if that shit is exposed, then all of the other stuff you're spending money on is a waste because you're going to be out of business. It only takes one hack. It only takes one. So um, I'm very, very bullish on cyber stocks. I know a lot of people uh, watching your show. They've probably been involved with Zscaler. And
3: mm-hmm. CrowdStrike. Crowdstrike, Crowdstrike, yeah. Crowdstrike yeah. Shout, shout, shout yeah. out to Wall Street Trapper. He, he's real big
9: on crowd. I'm, I'm in that stock. I'm super good. Um, but yeah, like that, to me, like you try to think of like, what's an obvious bull market? Well, is anyone ever going to spend less <laughs> on cybersecurity? <laughs> no. That's true. So who's going to uh, win, right? Right. So like that. That's that's how I'm trying to think about that.
5: Um, Does value dispersion factor into how you pick your stocks for yourself or for your clients? And then I love Tesla, but that P.E. of 129 is sick. Um, Normally, when P.E. ratios go this high, what what do you think the fate for Tesla would be over like the next two or three years?
9: I think uh, on things like price earnings ratio, I think uh, what the last decade has done is it's taught a very harsh lesson to people who are overly focused on one valuation metric. Price mm-hmm. to book is another example. Mm-hmm. And Ian, as as you've seen, one after another, there's like a lot of capitulation right now yeah. on the part of like famous investors. Today, Howard Marks put out a memo. Everyone should read this. By the way, Howard Marks is the guy who Buffett reads. Okay, it's free. Just Google Howard Marks memo. He did a whole thing about how PE ratios are not going to get the job done anymore. It's, he's, he's saying it's basically lazy analysis to mm. say, this stock is 10 times earnings. That stock is 40 times earnings, 10 is cheaper than 40 by the 10. That doesn't that doesn't work. If it were that, if it were that simple, people could do people could become trillionaires just by yeah. doing first grade math. Of course it doesn't work. The people who, like Kathy, who are winning big now in Shamath, are people who have this ability to qualitatively understand network effects. Mm-hmm. competitive mode disruption qualitatively not quantitatively like oh 40 is bigger than 10 let's buy the 10
7: yeah
9: come on come on there's like horses at carnivals that could do that with their hoof the hoof hooves <laughs> <laughs> you you have to be able you have to be able to understand technology to compete right now not and not just tech investors like if you are why is chipotle One of the, and Domino's pizza. Yeah. One is, Chipotle is like the world champion company for ice cold food. It's great. If you love cold food, (laughs) Chipotle. And Domino's is is cardboard with garlic salt. Why are those the two hottest stocks in the food category? Like, seriously, why? It has nothing to do with valuation on price. In fact, they're the most expensive when this whole thing started. Number one and two. So why are they up 500% each or whatever it is? If you qualitatively understood the way in which they were building their apps and using technology and figuring out what their customers want and anticipating that, if you qualitatively understood that story, you had an advantage over the person that's like, oh, Burger King's cheap. Domino's is expensive. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's how I started to think about P-E-Ratios like five, six years ago. So far, that's been right. Uh it may not always be right, but uh, I think like that's been a big difference maker between people trying to uh, outperform the people who have really succeeded in this era. Like Chamath, like Kathy, they have really understood where these companies fit in terms of the disruption happening.
3: Um, so we are fastly approaching a record for Market Mondays. We are a hundred people away from. <laughs> Biggest Breaking news work, work, Biggest. Hold, hold, hold up.
5: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> send out a tweet. I need up. this. I need this yeah. record.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so we need we need everybody to hit the like button, share it, send it out, tell a friend, and tell a friend. We about to get we about to get like another twenty minutes to just purify it. We got to we got to get this record. It's very
4: yeah, yeah.
7: it's
3: very important that we get this record.
4: Really quick, we're just gonna do the earnings for the week. I know, Ian. I know. Just give me like thirty seconds, cause um. Thursday, uh TSM, that is that is one of that obviously I love the semiconductors. You know that we we are heavy in those. And Josh, I know you love the semiconductors <laughs> as well. And and that's something too, right? When people think EV and they think all these vehicles, they need chips inside of them. So semiconductors, if you love EV, you should love the semiconductors and get yourself familiar with it. And then we got financials on Friday. Wells' report and City's report and PNC's report. That was the earnings report. Yeah, <laughs> you
3: there you have it. Ian let me just get one question in. Josh. You 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 had mentioned about China dumping US treasuries. I saw it on your Instagram. That was something that was very intriguing to me cuz we always talk about how China owns America and they they have so much of American debt. Mm-hmm. But there's, I guess there's more to the story than that than beats the eye. So yeah. what's the what's the deal I, with that?
9: Yeah, I think um I think uh it was like a big like late night comic joke like anytime something like would come up they'd be like, "Oh, well, we uh, we're in debt to China or oh, China owns us. Or...
3: We, we broke it. We broke the record. There it is. We broke oh. the record, Josh. You're, sure. good, you're good people. You're invited back whenever you want.
4: <laughs> 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 you got the all access pass. I'm on your Mondays.
9: No doubt. That's no the, doubt. Love, Sorry. By the By the way, like, just just a shout to your community. Like, I, I just love what you guys are doing with the show, how you have built it like a community. And um, I, I feel like, so I consume your content. And I, I know you're not supposed to, but I read the comments. <laughs> but you, I'm just gonna be crazy. I don't read my own comments, but your fans, they don't feel like it's your show and they're like watching, they feel like it's their show. Yeah. Like it's they a, really-
3: it's, it's, it's definitely a community. I'm glad you said that. It's a community and um, we're all learning together.
4: That's the best And, that's part. The, yeah. and it's like,
3: even us, right. like we come on and we learn so much from Ian, from you, from each other, from Troy. Um, myself I
9: think, you know what you know what i think i think it's got to be like that and one of the things i've always done with the blog is i've always said like i'm learning like i'm i'm like some something happens and i'm like yo here's a link to what i'm reading on this topic i don't know everything how mm-hmm. could somebody be an expert in everything yeah. right I can't so I, I i love that approach and just to be like yo, we're learning too let's have this conversation let's see what comes out of it um what are we talking about
3: china 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 all in u.s Oh um dumping. selling dumping US treasuries.
9: Yeah. So China had no choice but to hold treasuries because China had an FX issue. They had excess reserves. I know that sounds like people watching the show, like, wait, what do you mean? They had too much cash? Yes. They had too much cash. And it's a risk to have mm-hmm. that much cash if you don't have anything to do with it. There was no other market for them to put that cash into other than US Treasuries. So this idea that we were like this enslaved like get you know, beholden, and we and we owned all this money to China and they owned us. That that was never what it was. It was always an FX issue. It was China being a massive exporter, bringing in tons of foreign currency and having to do something with all that foreign currency. And there's not a lot you can do with it in this world that's risk-free. The US Treasury is seen as the quote risk-free asset. So that's what that was all about. There was a shift like 10, 15 years ago where China stopped being a net buyer of treasury bonds and then they became a a net seller each year so actually most of the debt that the united states has and keep this in mind forever because a lot of people sell a lot of uh horrible (laughs) uh products to investors and Mm -hmm. the way they do it the way they kick the door open a little bit is by scaring them with things like the national debt yes there's a huge national debt acknowledged we owe most of it to ourselves who owns the bonds It's not actually China. It's not actually foreign governments. They own some. We owe the debt to our own pension funds, to our own investors, to our own insurance companies, to our own ETF companies. That's who's holding the bonds. So it's still debt. It's not optimal. There are times where we should be increasing the debt, like right now. The problem that we haven't figured out yet is that there's also times we should be decreasing the amount of debt and we aren't. And why? Because interest rates are so low, it hasn't yeah. cost us anything. That'll change at some point. Um, and, I, and I saw it when Ian was talking about stuff like with Bitcoin, he's dead on talking about the money supply. Um, these things will at some point come home to roost. We don't know in what form and how long from now. They will become important. Uh, but that, I think, you think about like china how much debt but a lot of that stuff is just meant to scare people it's not actually an important issue there are real scary things in this world and that's not really among them
5: from all your time being in the industry and all the guests you've had what are like the three biggest investing lessons um, that you've learned i know that's tough to pare down because you've had some of the best investors on and even maybe something that you learned from barry uh since Mm -hmm. being in the industry
9: yeah, so my first 10 years in this business were bracketed by two of the worst bear markets in history. There have mm. been, uh, there've been, I think, 12 instances going back to 1926 where stocks fell more than 35%, right? What you would consider like a real deal bear market, like yeah. a brutal. So there were 12 of those, and I saw two of them within seven years, 2000 to 2002, and then 2008, 2009. And arguably, it still felt like a bear market into 2011. So those are the first 10 years of my career. That's what I watched. And I think that that taught me a lot of humility because both times the market's crashing, what I saw was people who were on top and you would look at them and you would be like, wow, this is a baller. This this guy can't lose. This is a genius. Those are the people who are humbled fastest and hardest and most irretrievably when the thing turns and it will turn it always turns so that was a really big lesson for me was like some don't confuse um you know bull market for brains sometimes people are just riding the most aggressive positions they could ride and it makes them look really really smart and we'll see what happens when this thing turns right so that that was big uh i think one of the things barry taught me and we try to teach this to clients is that your behavior is going to be much more um, impactful on your returns than anything you think you know. You don't know shit. You don't even know what you don't know, right? Explain. Okay, so, uh, I brought a prop. It's okay. I busted out a prop. Yes. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs>
3: the world is yours.
9: Everybody read this, you guys. You guys definitely. One of the greatest this. books ever. So good, right? Okay. Yep. Here's the thing, though. He did not solve. The market that's true he temporarily solves the market and then his edge goes away and he recruits new phds and mathematicians and literal rocket science uh scientists to his lair in the woods out east on long island not the long island i live in like he's in like trump country long island mm-hmm. and <laughs> they sit in the lab and they come up with a new edge and he has to do that repeatedly that's yeah. what this book is about. So yeah. this book is not about the triumph of trading. It's a management book because in order to do what he did, he had to, it's almost like when you hear about like, uh, you hear about Dave Chappelle throws his whole routine out. Like he takes it on the road. He does it for a few months, throws it out, starts over. Yeah. And, and all these guys, like the greatest comedians, that's what Jim Simons has to do. That's, this is the best performing hedge fund of all time.
7: Mm-hmm.
9: Listen, to num- listen to this number. Since 1988, Renaissance's flagship medallion hedge fund has generated average annual returns of 66%. Average annual returns every year 66%. Profits of 100 billion. Nobody even comes close. Buffett doesn't come close. Soros, none of these cats you hear about. Okay? $100 billion in profits. He pulled $100 billion out of the market, Mm -hmm. extracted it. Okay? You know what he did last year? NASDAQ went up 45%, S&P went up 17%, Dow went up 8%. You know what he did? Negative 20. That's crazy. Negative 20.
5: That's crazy.
9: You don't even know. So if you're one of these people, step step up to the market, you're gonna beat the market every year. You don't even know what the fuck you don't know. That's true, yeah. So being humble, now, here's my shtick. Here's the problem. Everybody loves certainty, right? When you hear somebody and they're speaking with like like persuasive, like, this is what you do, buy this stock, sell that, this is what you do. When you hear that level of certainty, you wanna follow that person because that's our DNA, right? Uh Humanity, we've always followed strong, confident leaders. That's what's kept us alive for a million years as species. So when you see somebody on TV and they're like, this is what you do, do this right now, right? This is the top, this is the bottom, they know. Even though you know they don't know, like you know, subconsciously you want you want to believe. As everyone wants easy answers from a confident leader. What ends up happening is my stick is I already know that I don't know, and so I do speak persuasively. I do speak with confidence, but I'm confident in that I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> That's my stick. Okay, so that so now, what does that lead me as an investor to do? I have a lesson. Spy right? Diversification means never having to say you're sorry and always having to say you're sorry. So when an mm-hmm. asset class gets killed, yep. you're like, well, at least we didn't have a lot of it. When an asset class goes up a lot, the clients are like, why don't I have more of that? Right? So you always are apologizing for something, but when you are diversified, you stay in the game. You cannot get knocked out of the game. So I think having confidence in the fact that we can't know what's going to happen is so powerful at any level of your investing just being aware that you cannot know what's going to happen he didn't know and he literally has mathematicians yeah. like like one the one, greatest like, of all time water. yeah so all right so, so so there's that i got i got two other books i wanted to shout out Can we do please that? do yeah, please do to hijack your show <laughs> people People that are in the early stage of investing ask me what should I read. I tell them one book. If you just read this one book and you never read another investment book again, and maybe you just revisit it every five years, you're done. This is the book. You
5: That's see a that? good fucking book. You That's know that shit, right? L- 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 yeah, L-
3: What's I- it? Because some people listen
9: on audio. What's it? Uh, you- Simple. Simple wealth, inevitable wealth, inevitable wealth, Got by Nick Murray.
5: All of Nick's books are really
9: good. Okay. Totally agree. So Nick is this old school dude in Brooklyn. He's been doing this for decades. He was an advisor, and now he's an advisor to advisors. Mm. And he's written a bunch of books, and they are all good. But if you're gonna read one, this is a hundred and hold up. It's two hundred pages. Yeah. You could read it, you could read it in a weekend. It will change your life, and it's written in English. It's not, there's no jargon. It's yeah. not meant for. It's not meant for Jim Simons. It's not a math book. It's just straight up. This is the truth about why we take risk in the stock market, what it does for us, and why what seems like it's less risky today actually is riskier over the long term. So I've had the pleasure of meeting Nick a couple times. Um, he's just he just he's this guy that figured it all out and everything he's been saying for decades has been right. Mm-hmm. So that's a Bible for me. Anytime somebody says, what do I start with? What book? That's the first book that you should read as an investor. You can't buy it on Amazon. You have to buy it on his site. You cannot knock this man's hustle.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have seven copies of it. That book cut, is good. No middleman.
3: Yeah. to Derek Grace. Cut the middleman out.
9: Yeah. All right. Last one. This is called The Go-Giver. About so this one? Yeah. 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 Man, Ian's read everything. <laughs> All right. I'll try so, and keep up, man. Can we can we can we get on. a couple
3: questions in before we before we wrap up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Go. Let's, this right. is the, so this is this, this is the second book. We go we gonna do our Jim Kramer thing, lightning
7: round.
4: B Y L stuff. Donald
3: Donald Rufus, we coming and in? We, and r- we're blowing past the record seventy five hundred on the night of the national championship game. It's not something to take lightly.
7: Chris? Uh,
6: okay. Hello. Can you hear me? What's going can on? hear you. What's going on, man? How, how y'all doing, man? We great. great.
7: Good.
6: Good, good, good. All right. Let me get right to it. So I, I just wanted to add, so like I started investing back in March. Long story short, I've been taking y'all advice. I just took y'all advice from the get-go. You know, I haven't, you know, I just invested into all the companies that y'all said, and I haven't sold anything. I haven't sold not one thing ever in, like, since I started investing. And I've been up, you know, I've been, to be, to be pl- completely honest, like since like the bottom of the pa- pandemic, you know, my portfolio has just been going up, honestly, like I've been up, just, I've, I've been doing good for myself, you know, and I don't want that to like, I feel like I'm a little too, I don't know, happy or I'm a little too confident or. You feel nervous? I, I feel nervous, like, yeah. Yeah, really, I feel nervous, so, like it's kind of like more or less easy, you know, like I just been doing what you're saying, you know, buying and holding, you know, doing all the smart plays. Like literally everything in my portfolio has been said on this show. So like, I've, you know, I've just been taking y'all advice, man. I've also been doing my own research and stuff. So, you know, I, I, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm doing everything right. You know,
7: it, yeah.
5: it, it, Josh, it, it, can you walk them through how to hedge through euphoria and then what, what time period, as an advisor,
7: you think he should hold? Yeah,
9: I would just say I feel like it's been too easy mm-hmm. this year, and I think a lot of investors feel, feel so. Um, so I, I think it's Donald. I think it's good that you feel this way because you haven't lost. You haven't lost uh, touch with the fact that like it's not meant to be so easy. It mm-hmm. just happened to have been easy. So I think you've already taken the first step, which is like that uh, that check on yourself. You're not walking around saying I'm about to launch a hedge fund. Because you had good nine months in the market, there are people walking around like that yeah. right now. They've lost their minds. Like they I, I go on TikTok um, for research, and it's like nineteen-year-olds giving financial advice to sixteen-year-olds. I'm like, what the mm. fuck? And yeah. charging money. <laughs> none of these people are registered. Like, what is even going on right now? So you got you got the important thing where you know, hey man, I feel like this is there's like no volatility everything's going up everything's working you're correct it's not always going to be that way so what do you do about it make sure you have other assets in your portfolio besides u.s stocks make sure you have some treasury bond etfs something that will offset the losses that you will eventually see in stocks something that will balance that out and serve as dry powder so that during the next panic you can buy more stocks when they fall. Exactly what you did in March, you want to be in a position to do it again. So if you're fully invested in stocks, you're not going to have that opportunity. It feels great right now, but you got to have some ballast in the portfolio, and I think you'd be fine.
4: Thank you. Appreciate you, Donald. Appreciate it. Uh, Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence Five, we are coming to you. Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted, my man. If not, I'm still your question.
3: There you go. He's there you there.
4: go. What's up, Lawrence? Well, maybe not. But um, Lawrence
3: had a pre-selected question, so let's read. Let's yeah, read the I'll question read that he had.
4: Uh So he said, I am a new investor that just started purchasing December 2020. A purchase of uh, 1200 in QQQ, 1200 in Canopy Grow, 1200 in AMD, 1200 in NIO, a little Amazon plug, CrowdStrike, et cetera. I want Tesla, but they are crazy high right now. Should I still be investing even though it's going up and my income tax is about to come 10000 I want to invest that too. Thoughts?
9: So that's a portfolio that's being built in the rearview mirror. Like, no offense, but, you know, these are stocks that have all gone up four, 500% this year or more, and now we're buying them because they look really good in hindsight. But a lot of times what's just worked over one 12-month period, not on a calendar basis, but just in general is not always the best performing thing in the next 12 month period. So we wanna be careful about constructing portfolios that look really great if you had a time machine and you can go back and do it again. We have to focus on what's in front of us. The other thing is that there's a lot of concentration in that portfolio, those stocks move together. They're all part of the same ETFs, the same hedge fund owners own all of them. So that when that part of the market gets hit, your whole portfolio is gonna get hit. Like you mm-hmm. that's a no place to hide situation. Your third thing, that ETF, Triple Q's, owns most of those stocks. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't even realize it. You're double dipping in Amazon. I, I forget the other names that you said. Um Neil Crowd.
4: Yeah, AMD. So, Canopy Grow.
9: Uh, Tesla's in uh yep. Yeah, I mean yeah, they're not all in in the Nasdaq, but some of them are. So you're doing a little bit of double dipping. That's not to say it's not Those aren't good holdings. I guess what I would tell you is your next contribution to the market should be a little bit more balanced. Like you got to own some stuff that's not in that high momentum group and try to put some stuff together that where you'll have what they call non-correlated returns. You want things that will go up when those things you just described go down, right? So that might be international stocks. That might be things like REITs utilities pay big dividends, people flee to safety to those sectors when there's volatility in all those Nasdaq stocks you mentioned. So you really want to start thinking about diversification. I think those could be good investments. It's not a judgment on that. We're talking about portfolio construction, right? So
5: is there any companies or sectors that you think have asymmetric like risk reward upside for the next five or 10 years? Or, Or what are you keeping your eye on?
9: I think healthcare is about to make a massive breakout. You know, when we look back at major historic events and we ask, like, what, what were turning points and what were moments where the whole world changed? When you think about the, you know, John F. Kennedy's push to land a, a rocket on the moon, forget about the rocket landing on the moon, whether you believe it or not, forget about that. All of the technology that sprang from that decade-long uh, project all of the the air and space technology, that fueled all of these other, so all right. So the pandemic period, I think we're gonna look back and we're gonna say, wait a minute, we just developed a vaccine in 10 months that historically would take 10 years. What does that mean for the healthcare sector? What does that mean for the future revenues and profits of all these drug companies? They're now like on steroids, Mm-hmm. They now know that they are equipped with this ability to cure something, like or prevent something with a vaccine in inside of a year. None of these executives thought they could do it until the White House um, and the CDC said, "Go do it. We'll approve it. Go do it." We'll and they it. did it. They did it. So, what does that mean for healthcare investors? I'm super bullish. I, so- uh, biotech. Healthcare, yep. that's the sector I would be paying closest attention to because of this revolution that life sciences has undergone as a result of coronavirus. Biotech.
3: biotech. We talked about biotech before. And
4: we gave some stocks
3: though. We gave a lot of stocks. ETFs, biotech is uh unstoppable. It's an yeah. unstoppable
9: situation, right? Crazy, now. crazy what's going on with those stocks. And yeah. most of them are not household names. Like you talk to people on the street, they're already on Tesla, right? Uh-huh. They're not on. They're not on fate therapeutics. They uh-uh. don't know. They don't know what's going on, right? Uh-uh. So I think that's a fertile uh, area to be looking for next next decade leaders. All
4: right, let's get like two more. Like two more, Marcus. We are coming at you. unmute yourself. You've been unmuted, bro. What's going on? Yo, happy New
3: Year's! Y'all happy New, Year's. Happy New year, man? How you doing, brother? Oh, good, good, good. Actually, a hey, um. Josh, thanks for coming on the show, by the way. I uh, just want to touch on one thing real quick. You guys were talking about um, how like telework is a huge thing right now. A lot of people also need to start keeping in mind that y'all don't think that the salary is going to start getting cut in a lot of these places like Google, Amazon, and et cetera. Because at this point now, people could just be like, well, we can just pay you $60,000. It's like, well, we can't afford this here in San Francisco. We're teleworking. Find some place in Idaho. So I, th- I think that's something that
9: we got to think about here, too, in the future, because that, that kind of scares me. That is so. Tr- that is so true. That is such a great question. These companies aren't stupid. They, right now, they're paying salaries because these people are living in San Francisco. <laughs> they're living in in three million dollar one bedrooms. Uh, mm-hmm. That's over. So now, if they're going to have a workforce that's that's sitting on a Wi Fi network on their ranch in Montana, best believe they're not going to be paying these people like they're living in uh, Chelsea. Or or right? Or or living in uh Pacific Heights or, or whatever. So I think that's a really good point. And I think that what you're gonna see technology companies do is spread their workforce out all over the country, red states, blue states, not just Austin. Like you're gonna see, you know, you know, you're gonna see that broaden out. And by the way, that happened already. We know what that looks like. That happened with Denver. Mm-hmm. Turned the whole state of Colorado purple, by the way. So University of Colorado became a major tech hub. Um, in Boulder, and that broadened out to Denver, and now uh, the entire state of Colorado became a purple state, and now a blue state. A blue governor, I think. Yep. Um, yep. a Blue senator, and uh, and that that's a really it, there's a geopolitical aspect to what you're talking about, where you know we saw all these Californians run to Dallas, <laughs> run to Wyoming, right, and, and and just buy 500 acres and say, yeah, I'm a tech mogul. But I'm not a schmuck. I don't need to live in these congested cities that are falling apart when I can own my own lake. Yeah. You understand? So you're going to see, I think, a workplace dispersion and salaries uh, eventually become rationalized uh, because that cost of living is going to go down for a lot of these companies employees. I think that was a really spot on comment, Marcus.
4: Con- Kanye setting the trend. <laughs> I was thinking that, yeah. Kanye
9: out in uh... Kanye and Jeffrey.
4: <laughs> wait for that man I think he's going through a divorce right
9: now uh, hopefully not It's going to be tough hopefully yo not. the divorce laws in Wyoming, on Wyoming no, no big deal <laughs> I, think he just, I think it's better just than California
7: battle. yeah
9: I think, I think whoever's left standing at the corral gets all that <laughs>
3: <laughs> he should file
9: out? he should file there
3: <laughs> okay corral the last yeah. man
9: standing. how many head of cattle is Kim's and how many is <laughs> Okay
3: that's funny head of cattle one chicken per. Uh,
9: yeah.
4: All right. I, yeah, I got one. I got a question, and, and I know Jamal's going to kill me if I don't ask it. Um, being that state's in, in a deficit, and they got to raise funds. We know that iGaming gaming and, and uh, sports betting is one way. And we know that Democratic Congress is in place, and we have a Democratic president. Is this now the time to get into the marijuana space? Should we be looking at Canopy Grow in, in the auroras of the world, or is there an ETF that we should be looking at in the, car- in the, the marijuana uh, industry?
9: I got to be honest with you. I know I know this stance was wrong this year, but I don't think long-term that these are going to be good investments. I think all 50 states will legalize. Mm-hmm. But So what? You need more weed, you just grow more. I don't see what the big deal is. I don't think anyone's going to have a stranglehold on the brand, like the packaged version, like, oh, we, we have the best edibles that everyone loves. I think people just eat whatever they can get. Like, I just, I don't, again, I, I accept that this is not popular. But I look at Canopy and I look at some of the companies that are building these like brands. If you're listening, I'm doing air quotes. Um, to me, these brands don't seem like they have that competitive mode that Ian and I were talking about before. Um, so there'll probably be a big winner that becomes like the Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. But right now, there's a million entrants. How Sorry. are you going to know? Like, like how are you going to know who that company is? and a really great example of how hard this kind of thing is an industry in its infancy picking the long term winner um, there were hundreds of companies making cars in the 1920s and 1930s we got two american car makers left other than tesla there's two is ford and gm last men standing mm-hmm. right chrysler's owned by the italians now so i i don't love this game of oh they're going to legalize weed let's let's pick one stock or two stocks because that's going to be the one that really figures out how to become the household brand name. I I just I don't. It's not my area. We rather uh, smoke it than, than invest in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't smoke. I don't that's smoke. My thing is uh, my thing is tequila. I'm not a I'm not a weed guy.
5: <laughs> Respectfully. Respectfully, Can I excuse my final question real quick? Yeah, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, what, what are the two biggest mistakes you feel like you've met? You made in business and then what's the one biggest insight that you've gotten from working with mike and ben and having them um, in your firm
9: yeah mike let me do the second one first Th- thank you for that question i appreciate it mike and ben are uh two of the five members on my firm's investment committee and we're investing for almost 1500 families now it's about uh 1.8 billion dollars under management and we could That's not nice. have gotten to where we are if our if our portfolio stuff wasn't as tight as it is. Like, one of the things that investment advisors do, uh, and, I, and hopefully do well, is they explain the portfolio to the person that they're asking to invest in it, and not just the first time. Mm. They got to keep re-explaining it. Yeah. You know why? Because every month there's a new fad, and investors are like, oh, man, why aren't I in Ethereum? <laughs> why aren't you in Ethereum? Because you're fucking 70. Yeah. <laughs> yeah serious because <laughs> you have eight million dollars but, but
5: how do you stop clients from chasing when things are taking off so and it's literally at the top
9: yeah so, that, so that's what i'm saying so ben oh. and like have built a portfolio that is defensive for both types of investors the really fearful ones that are always like every time there's volatility get me out and then the really greedy ones that see these asset bubbles and they're like why aren't i in that why aren't i in that mm-hmm. Ben and Michael's content, which um, first of all, their podcast is Animal Spirits. It's It's like my favorite. Uh, I have my own podcast, and I like theirs better. Uh, um, Ben's blog is a wealth of common sense. Michael Batnick is the relevant investor, and these guys are just—they're humble. They're both CFAs. They're crazy smart all day, all day long. They spend calculating returns, calculating risk, reading about market history. They just—they eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff. So I have become smarter. Because I read all their stuff and have conversations with them when I have questions, those are the guys I call. All right, um, what was the first? What was the first? Two, two biggest mistakes. mistakes you made in, yeah, in the business. I make mistakes every day. I I uh, I'm not like the guy that presents himself like I have all the answers. And maybe the big mistakes I've made career wise mm-hmm. were all blessings in hindsight. I my first book I put out in 2012 called Backstage Wall Street. Mm-hmm. and the whole thing is about what an idiot i am um so but it's all but every one of those things i did wrong or screwed up with was a blessing because i never did it again yeah right so if i have one really good trait it's not making the same big mistake twice but i've i've made some pretty big mistakes in my career uh if but you can i think go back to the beginning has, so. is
5: there anything you would do different no we, we all have things like, that we would do over
9: one time I don't know, though, because think about all the other stuff that would change, like the butterfly effect. So, yeah, there's some look, I went through some I went through some fucked up stuff. Like I started in the business working for like um, boiler room brokers. I didn't know any better.
7: Yeah,
9: that's what it was when I was when I was young. If you were a young man on Long Island and you didn't know what to do with yourself, there was a brokerage firm within two miles of your house that would take you in. Like Belfort style. Boiler and, Boiler room. That, that era, the Belfort era was a little bit before my time. But all the guys that worked for him launched firms. So when I was like in college, like what am I going to do this summer? Oh, I'll go cold call for these guys. So like I, I regretted having started my career that way years ago. But now I see it as a blessing because I learned so much about human nature and market psychology and what not to do. And why ethics are so important in our business. So, like, I really don't, Ian, I really don't think I would want to take something back or do it differently, just because I don't know what else that would affect. So, I feel like we're we okay. are what we are, and we we've arrived at this point for a reason. I I hope, I hope you know who knows, but that's, yeah, I that's respect how I that. Feel. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that,
3: J- Josh. You're a gentleman and a scholar, but. Before, before I let you, first of all, thank you for coming. Um, Imagine. very, very enjoyable, um, conversation for sure. Nah, I had so
9: much fun. I had so much fun hanging with you guys. Thank you for having me.
3: Yeah. Nah, man. Yeah. Um, social media following is about to skyrocket. <laughs> <laughs>
5: well, and, and tell them about the show. Uh Oh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask you a question. Um, I know you're a big, big hip hop fan. You got the notorious B.I.G. behind you. Um, and who's the
9: other guy? Yeah, who is that's, the other guy? Who's who's that? Who? That's MC Search from third base. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's the that's the man. That's J.P. Morgan. He built this whole that's, thing. That's, yeah, that's J.P. Morgan. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, he, JP, he put this whole got thing got together. People don't JP. know Mor- he was. He, he was the, Fed the country before the Fed. Yeah, he literally. Saved America from bankruptcy. Read about the Panic of 1907. Your, your head will fall off. I'm telling you, you'll be blown away. Uh, so they, these are my these are my guys. They're looking over my shoulder all the time.
3: J.P. Morgan and Christopher Wallace. Oh interesting. Interesting, In- interesting. Who do you- All right. So we got we got we got we got Life After Death and we got and we got
4: Thirty Six Chambers. Thirty Six Chambers. I, I heard you a big Wu Tang fan, so which, I put it up there. Which one?
9: Massive. Massive. Oh, what's about a better record? Yeah, can't not stop. Stop. I'm going to pretend like my connection just went out. <laughs> <laughs> stop. Stop. Uh, the, the only one you have. So like if you wanted to do that right, you, you're you missing. Uh, I think Midnight Marauders came out the same year. And I'm trying to think if there's another like elemental record from that time. I'm sure there is. I, I'm not thinking of it. But those would be the three for me. So I, I don't really think that you can. Try
4: you, you take a midnight marauders over the low end theory?
9: Um, no. I, I think I think uh I think I like them. I think I like them both equally. I don't know, uh-huh. but both are still listenable, right? But you have to understand where I'm from. So where I'm from, I'm from a town called Merrick, which is in a, a larger town called Town Town of Hempstead. And we had some of the best, we were like the cradle of mid eighties to late eighties rap. Yeah, like we of the public Enemy.
3: You, you know, you know, you know you know from Hempstead? The greatest rapper from Hempstead, Rakim. Prodigy. Oh. Rakim is from Long <laughs> Prodigy,
4: wrestling soul. People he's not, think he's not from, from-
9: he's not from. He's not from QB? No,
4: no, 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 no. He, he's not.
3: He's not. He he moved to Queensbridge when he was like nineteen, and he just reps Queensbridge. But yeah. he's actually from Long Island. He's from Hempstead. That, little little known so, fact that that was so the next, crazy.
9: That's how town next in to mine fashion. was like. Uh, was like, um, Chuck and Flav, and uh, we we're claiming the EPMD. <laughs> We're Ooh. claiming, like, like we had, like, we had a moment uh, on Strong Island. Uh, not so much anymore, but uh, yeah. been a long time. You know, for <laughs> for better or for worse, we had a we had a moment.
4: We, we, we got to include leaders of the new school in Strong Island. I know, I know, True. buses from Brooklyn,
9: but True. the rest of the crew is from there. Those guys, uh, those guys used to buy cars from my friend's dad on uh, uh, in in Inglewood, actually. Uh, on, on the turnpike, they used to come into five towns, Toyota and whatever. And, uh, they, they wanted, they all wanted bulletproof, uh, land cruisers back, back then. Buster would come in That's for like- crazy.
3: <laughs> Very necessary. Shout out
9: yeah.
7: to
3: Long Island, man. <laughs> Shout out to Long Island. What would you like to tell the people, um, how can they watch you on CNBC? I know you just wrote a book, I believe, um, yeah. What's some information you podcast like and all that? Social media handle, podcast, YouTube channel, all that.
9: Yeah. So, so the podcast is called the Compound Show. It comes out every Friday, uh, Friday morning. Definitely don't want to miss this week's. I can't tell you who I have uh, as my guest, but forget it. Mm. Uh, halftime report is is twelve to one Eastern, Monday through Friday. I'm usually on a couple days a week, and uh, check out the blog. Check check me out on Insta. I don't know all the. All the usual places, I'm almost I'm almost in all of them. Uh, gold mines I do better as well. In right. some than others, but what's that? Gold mines as well, right? The gold mine. Yeah, the gold mine is something, Ian, the gold mine is something I'm gonna to talk to you about, actually. What we're doing is we're building this this collaborative podcast where people that wrote really great blog posts, they could come on and record it. They could read it in their own voice and mm. we're publishing them. They're like three minutes long each. So we're putting one up every day from the people in my team, and we're going to open that up. It's going to be like the comedy seller of financial poc- Like We're going to build that's a dope. stage for like all these new up-and-coming voices. So I'm going to talk to you about that. Um, but yeah, it's called The gold mine. We just started it like two weeks ago. It's going to be hot because people that don't have time to listen to an hour and a half, they just mm-hmm. want a gem, a little nugget from The gold mine, Take you five minutes to listen to, and you're like, oh, that's something I didn't know before I listened to that. Yeah, so, we're, we're going to get that popping. Yeah, there's, there's a network that we know of that, you know,
4: look at the shows like Troy that. and Rashad have second <laughs> voices as well. <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, what's, that's what's dope. dope. After this Josh. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> nah, I
4: appreciate it. I really do.
3: Nah, nah, Josh, man, it's been a pleasure. We got a link up in New York once this COVID situation dies down mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, no
9: doubt. I can't wait. I
4: can't wait. Yeah, for
3: sure. For sure. Uh, Troy. Yeah, man. Oh, wait,
4: I, we didn't. We got to pay homage to the, the Jordan Sixes, the Carmines. Oh, yeah. Definitely in the top 10. Um, salute to the Jordan Sixers. Got, mm-hmm. got, got to salute those. But, yeah, man, as, as we do at the end of every Market Mondays, we encourage you to reach out to somebody. Uh, just tap in. Simple text. One text can change somebody's life. It can change somebody's day. Um, so, and it costs you nothing. It, it costs you nothing but a second. So we encourage you to do that. And shout out to everybody that's executing. I've been seeing a lot of DMs, people just like, yo, I took your advice and I did it. You know what we got a shout out to? Shout out to Toronto. Kirk hit me today. Shout out to, shout out to Greenberg. Everybody from Greenberg. But Kirk hit me. And he was like, y'all been checking in. Yo, up here is crazy. They love you in Toronto. I am you in Toronto. And he's man. like, yo, I'm just here like, yo, this is my dudes. My, and favorite, I'm like,
3: my favorite
4: city in, the, in yeah. the world. So shout out to Kirk, man. Uh, a legend in his own right, man. One of our young boys. He, he's tuning in. He he's said he can't come home because of the COVID, but he's definitely locked in with us. He's having a blast.
3: Shout out yeah. to him. Um, once again, you don't know who I know. <laughs> you don't. You really don't. Um, it's been a pleasure. Mark Cuban, the legend himself.
4: Billionaire edition. Tomorrow.
9: Cubes is Cubes is the man. Yeah, that's yeah. going <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow. It's gone. Indiana University
5: great. family, tune in tomorrow. <laughs> Support Cuban.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta, yeah. Yeah, I gotta yeah. tap in. We gotta make that one yeah. a million views on YouTube. Um make for sure, sure you,
9: for sure you're YouTube. getting that.
3: Make sure you tap in with EYL University. Once again, this is the last day. I put the link up, code EYL. And um, thank you guys for rocking with Market Mondays. Check out the podcast, Market Mondays, on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. Download that, subscribe. and yeah, let's give run that up. Five-star ratings and all of that. And uh, Ian, we'll give you the last word, brother.
5: Rashad, Troy, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I kept my word that I was going to keep, that he was going to be on in. Because I don't want anybody from Flatbush to come to Houston and jump me. So thank <laughs> you. Josh, thank you for being on. Um, I don't throw around a lot of compliments. Uh, But seriously, like you, Bonowin, Pete Nigerian of course, Kramer, uh, people that I've looked at in this journey have been uh, really inspired by. It. And that Mark Haynes compliment, I really mean, because there's not a lot of people I, who I appreciate that. his candor. Um, and then also call people on that shit. Like if they were saying a company was good and it wasn't good. Um, I love that. You guys do that. And then what you guys have at uh, the compound show with Animal Spirits. And to everybody tuning so in, I appreciate it. Um, I love you guys dearly. Check on your family. Um, for those of you, if you're struggling or going through anything and we can help in any way, please let us know. And then for those of you who are deathly afraid to invest, I am begging you, please, at some point, just start. It's not as hard as you think. When, once you go through your first drop, 20 25%, you're going to hate it. But once you get three, four years in and you're up 40 50 60 70%, you're going to be like, why the hell didn't I start earlier? So for all the parents, please start for your kids because your kids don't have bills to pay. Please start early for them. So I appreciate it.
3: That's it. Josh, we're going to get you some merch too. Oh, shit. All right. Send you some merch. <laughs> yeah, Ernest, <laughs> go,
4: go go follow Josh's Instagram page if you're not following. Uh, Screenshot, tag us in it, uh, and let's let's blow this thing up, man. Market Monday is the number one spot for financial advice, man. You know that. The we biggest. love y'all. The right. biggest.
5: Josh, you're a legend. I appreciate you. I'll
4: be tuning in tomorrow. you guys. Thank you. Love,
8: All right. love is love. All right. Peace. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month